Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. The Danny Mac Show with BK. Podcast powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac with BK. Fly ball, left field, Carlson over, he has it! Wainwright, his 39th birthday, he goes the distance, 23rd complete game of his career. Absolutely remarkable, and a hug from Yadier Molina. What a performance from the 39-year-old Adam Wainwright. Incredible. One of the great games in recent Cardinals history, which, by the way, was also Yadier Molina's 2000th career Major League game. But that was on his 39th birthday. Adam Wainwright went the distance in a game that the Cardinals had to have somebody go deep in a game because they needed innings. Well, they need somebody to give them a lot of innings again coming up in 2021. And it just might be Adam Wainwright who's coming back to St. Louis. Welcome to the Danny Mac Show with BK on 101 ESPN. It's the Friday edition. We're going to visit with Keith Law coming up. And we're going to talk about some of the prospects that the Cardinals have. And many of those are in the top 100 in Major League Baseball. BK, hey, you've been yearning for this. You've been wanting it. You've been praying for it. You have been doing uh, seances for it. And now you've got it. You've got baseball movement in St. Louis. You've got I'm it. so happy. Dan, this is my Super Bowl. I've been waiting for this day. <laughs> We've talked so much about hypotheticals. Hey, could they do the X, Y, and Z? What if they did this? Could that change that? Finally, we're seeing some real movement. Hey, you know what? John Mosaloc is a man of his word. He said that January is the new December, and I'll be damned if by the end of January, they didn't start making moves that I would have liked to have seen in December. I thought that Wainwright last year was the MVP of the club. Uh, Ten games started, 65 and two-thirds, went five and three, ERA just above uh, three, which anytime you're around three in this day and age of baseball, you've done a, a very good job. Uh, just about uh, seven and a half strikeouts per nine, and you'd like to think that coming up this season he'll be in your rotation be an innings eater and that's what you're going to have to have as we've talked about a lot in 2021 an innings eater but it's also about legacy here in st louis it just wouldn't seem right to watch him pitch at a major league uh, stadium with a different uniform on i feel the same thing with yadier molina i think the signs point for him to come back talked about it on the crossover so one of the two big dominoes is down and that is adam wainwright coming back to st louis it just makes a lot of sense it does and I love the salary that they got him for as well. This is a totally reasonable deal for them. If you look across baseball and check out other guys that have been signed this offseason, Adam Wainwright just got the same amount as John Lester. Now, I don't know how much Cardinals fans have been paying attention to what John Lester's been the last couple of years. These are not comparable pitchers at this point in their career. Lester's had a fantastic career. He's not as good right now as Adam Wainwright is. The Cardinals got a better pitcher in Wayno than John Lester, who's going out to Washington, and they got it for basically the same price, $5 million, $3 million in incentives. This is cheaper than what they had him for last year, if I'm not mistaken. So I, I love the deal. It makes all the sense in the world. I like that they were able to include those incentives in there as well. So if he pitches well, if he pitches a lot, they're going to give him the money that he is worth. So it, it 
from every possible perspective makes a ton of sense. So your rotation right now, currently constructed, you've got Jack Flaherty, KK, Miles Michaelis, Adam Wainwright, and that's in no particular order. Your fifth spot is still up for grabs. You got Alex Reyes, uh, you've got Gomber, you got Daniel Ponce de Leon, probably Gant, uh, all guys buying. Yeah, Carlos Martinez, um, who might be maybe pitching right now in in showcasing himself or maybe getting ready to showcase himself for the Cardinals. Who knows? For a potentially bigger deal. You never know what's happening with him. But the Cardinals are are finally making some moves here, and it's uh, it's fun to talk about. But I would have to say this. The Cardinals, when you look at their rotation and you look at their bullpen, and it is on paper until we get into the season, on paper they are the better team in the NL Central with their pitching. Now, it's only one move. It's not all of a sudden, oh, you brought back Wainwright. All of a sudden, you're the you're the front runner. You got other things you got to do, and offensively, you got to you got to you got to make sure that uh, you're getting better because you weren't very good last year. So there's some things they got to tinker with as they move forward, and maybe one of those moves is being talked about here, which has been talked about in the last oh, I would say 12 to 14 mm. hours, and that's Nolan Arenado. Report out of uh, the. Athletic last night from our buddy Ken Rosenthal. He's saying that Nolan Arenado, the rumors are heating up yet again to St. Louis. Hey, if you if you have the chance to get this guy, number one, you go do it. I mean, it's just that simple in my mind that you go do it. Yes, you go do it. The Cardinals have a lot of prospects uh, at third base. By the way, here's some of them. I was thinking about this coming into this. Nolan Gorman. They got Montero. They got Mendoza. They got Malcolm Nunez. They got recently drafted uh, Jordan Walker, who we talked about the other day. Do any of those players make sense for the Rockies? Now, on the financial side, the Cardinals would be taking on a hefty deal. And I would look at this is that the Rockies are looking to dump this salary clearly. They got Trevor Story, who's going to be a free agent after next year. He has a chance to opt out of this deal. In COVID-19 and with what's happening in our society, there is no way he is opting out of this. He is due a breakdown of his contract, $35 million in 21, $35 million in 22, $35 million in 23, $35 million in 24, $32 million in 25, 32 or $27 million in 26. That's $199 million coming the way of Nolan Arenado, who, by the way, would love it in St. Louis. He is a baseball rat. We hear the term Jim Rat in basketball. He is a baseball rat. So you get to St. Louis, you are going to love it because the place will be packed. You'll be appreciated and people will give you a standing ovation when you strike out like they did with Larry Walker when you first get to town. And when you start making unbelievable backhanded plays or you throw from the bottom of your seat to second base to make a force play, people in St. Louis, if it's 25000 or 30000 on a Tuesday night against the Marlins, they will give you a standing ovation and the first time that happens he'll look around and go holy you know what what is going on here this place is different it's special and it is you talk to major league players they love playing here when they come here as a visitor or they play every day it just is what it is he would love it here it's the right fit i hope they make it happen it would be incredible i would love to see it happen um one thing that does make a lot of sense about the timing of it dan is if you look at the guaranteed contract so i'm not talking about arbitration i'm not talking about team control the guaranteed numbers that the Cardinals currently have for 2022. So next year, they've got three of them right now. It's Goldie at $26 million, DeYoung at about $7 million, and Michaelis at $16 million. About $60 million comes off the books, I believe. Is that Absolutely. right? Absolutely. That's correct. And so you're, 
you're entering a phase. This was always going to be the case for the Cardinals, and it's why we've talked so much about next year's offseason, but you're just basically jumping the market by doing this. It's always been the case that next season would have been the one where it made most sense to go get a big-time bat, a big-time guy that can help you in the middle of your order. If they do it now, it just means you get an extra year of Nolan Arenado, which isn't a bad thing. No, it's not. Now, what about the splits? That's something that we always talk about, the home and road splits. Um, that is something that is legit. You look at the home and road splits when you're at Coors Field as opposed to when you play outside of Coors Field. Everybody looks at that. And yes, there are lesser numbers for Nolan Arenado outside of Coors Field. I don't care. When you watch him play defense every day, you will be amazed when you watch this guy play. We see him probably BK six times, maybe seven, if it's a four-game series. He does something, and I, I said this to you the other day. He does something probably two out of the three games if it's a three-game series where you go oh my god did what did did you just see that did you just see what he just did and there's only a handful of guys in the league that make me do that Mike Trout is one I was telling you said to me yesterday out there who who would you like stop and watch and yeah. play and I said well Mike Trout I think every time that he came up against the Cardinals hit a rocket somewhere you know, it was either a home run or hit a bullet at somebody. It's like, wow, you know, there's just a, they play at a different level. Arenado defensively plays at a different level. Um, so all of a sudden you're already even minus Wong, a pretty good defensive club. And Tommy Edmond, by the way, is going to be fine defensively. I bet he's a plus defender at second base. You add Nolan Arenado, you're, you're going to be very good defensively as a club. Your club right now currently constructed is based on pitching, number one, defense, and then hope on offense. If you get him, then you're really good defensively. You've are, Then you upgrade the middle of your lineup. You're getting a good bat. I, I'm not worried about the back end of these deals yet. I mean, I worry about it when I get there. But, man, you've added excitement to what is a baseball city and a baseball franchise that needs a little injection of some excitement. You talk about excitement, you got it right now. You mentioned the splits, the home road splits. We talk about this all the time. We're talking about it in the Hall of Fame cases with Todd Helton. We did it with Larry Walker. We did it previously with Matt Holiday, and we saw how that worked out here in St. Louis. He was a fantastic hitter, whether it was at Coors or elsewhere. However, if you go back to the time when he would tr was traded in 2009, he did have these same splits. He had a thousand OPS at home and about an 820 to an 830 OPS on the road or excuse me. The, yeah, on the road. Mm. So it was about a 200 point difference. That is not insignificant. That's the difference between yeah. the best guys in baseball and a really good hitter. So the same is true for Nolan Arenado. That is not something that would scare me away from him. Dan, the Cardinals are in a transition period, as you mentioned. We know this is probably going to be it for Yadier Molina, who I hope is back, and for Adam Wainwright. You're going to need a new face of the franchise. Goldschmidt is one of those guys. Maybe we see Flaherty take on some of that role in the rotation. If you get Nolan Arenado, he's another. He's a guy that can be a face of the franchise for you for the next five to six years. And then you hope that you develop guys that moving forward can also be that. Maybe Carlson can become that. Maybe Gorman. Who knows what's down in the system. But Right now, if you're looking for certainty in terms of somebody that can be a legitimate people are going out there to watch him, Nolan Arenado can be that. And maybe we're seeing a transition with the franchise in terms of how they do their business. So you're seeing guys like Lindor or the free agency class uh, of the shortstops next year that could be the 300 million type 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 players where they say, 
ah, that that maybe doesn't interest us. But going out and getting the Goldschmidt's of the world or the Arenados of the world, that does. We understand it's going to cost a lot of money to get those guys. You know, Goldie's well over $100 million. Uh, Arenado's going to be close to 200 but we're not at the $300 million range. Maybe that's the, the mindset here of the franchise, and I'm okay with that, too. Something to keep in mind, too. On the flip side, I'm going to play devil's advocate sure. here. You know, how comfortable do the Cardinals feel in going out and paying these kind of guys when they hit their mid-30s in a non-steroid-type year? You know, non, non-steroid-type environment where before, I think, if you were in the, the, the early 2000s and guys were in, you know, 33, 34 years old and you're not getting tested for steroids and they're putting up monster numbers, you're like, okay, whatever. I'm going to pay them whatever because they're putting up big numbers where now you're getting tested. So... That's a different thing. I mean, they're normal people, and you digress in your production when you hit like a normal human being, 35, 36, 37, 38, 40, and you know, so on and so forth. It's a different deal. The nice thing for the Arenado deal is it only runs through, if I'm not mistaken, his age 36 season, 35 season. Yes, right. So you're not on the hook for those late 30s years Correct. with him. It's not like, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the... Uh, um, going back to when they were thinking about trading for Stanton, I think he was through like age 38. And the same thing was true for Harper, where this contract's going to take him through the end of his playing career. Arnado's not that way. Arnado, you can get to 35. He's still playing well. You could resign him if you want to. If not, just let him go, you know, so that you have a little bit better of a feeling about that with him. I would also say this, Dan, I've seen some skepticism about the Cardinals paying $60 million for two players because that's what it's going to be for Arenado and for Goldschmidt. The reason why I'm not super worried about that is basically they did that last year for three guys, two of whom did not perform for you. They did it for Goldschmidt with Carpenter and Fowler. Carpenter and Fowler combined make what Arenado makes. Would you trade those two for Arenado? I certainly would. So that's kind of, for me, the way that I look at it. But I do understand for the franchise itself, they're thinking, okay, but we still got to have a 26-man roster. I get that. There's nobody in baseball better at producing solid major leaguers than the Cardinals. We'll see how this trade, if it happens, if it happens, how it unfolds. You know, the Rockies may be just saying, look, we just want to get rid of the deal. You know, we just want young prospects. We you got to take on the contract or if the Cardinals would come back and say, well, we'll do it. But you're going to have to take on one of those guys that you're talking about, too, which are one is owed about 19, 18, 19 million dollars. The other one, 16 and a half. So, again, it's fun to talk about. We'll see if it happens. Craig Mish, a reporter who is based down in Miami, has some stuff on the Cardinals from time to time, just said that he believes there's an 80% chance that this gets done. 80%? Okay. 80% chance. I know my guy, um, <laughs> Alex Ferrario, is at 95%. Oh, he's at 95 Also wanted to pass this along from Jason Stark. He says that Cardinals players have been buzzing about the Nolan Arenado potential deal with each other for several weeks. It would be a tectonic shift in the NL Central if the team can actually make it happen. Well, you, the thing, too, is if you get that type of player, the buzz inside your organization and the players, oh, it's, it's, game changer. it's a game changer. It really is. All right, we got Keith Law coming up. We're going to talk about the top prospects inside the Cardinals organization, and that's next on 101 ESPN. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise.
with Danny Mac. I'm Brandon Kylie. It is it is the Danny Mac show with BK on 101 ESPN. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Happy to be joined by senior baseball writer for the athletic. He is Keith Law joining us here on the show. He recently put together his updated top 100 prospects in all of Major League Baseball. It includes a few Cardinals on this list. We always appreciate his time. Keith, how you doing today? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Uh, doing very well. So let's start with the guy that made it into your top 10 from the Cardinals organization, and that would be Dylan Carlson at number nine overall in all of baseball. We got to see a, a nice taste of what Dylan Carlson can do for the Cardinals last year. It started out rough, but it ended up being really nice in the postseason whenever he really came on for them. What do you see as the potential for him, and what did you like about what you saw from him there at the end of last season for Carlson? So I should just qualify this too by saying I give any player who struggled in the 2020 season a lot of slack because it was such an unusual season. Nobody had a real spring training. A lot of players, including Carlson, came to the big leagues probably sooner than they otherwise would have. So Carlson did not have the first season I think the Cardinals were hoping for, but I think that's fine. And I do think he'll be better off for it in the long run. What I love about Carlson more than anything else is that I think his approach at the plate, his plate discipline, his pitch recognition, his swing decisions, is really advanced and kind of always has been. Has been basically since he started out in pro ball and credit to Randy Flores and the scouting staff there for identifying that, for seeing that he was such an advanced hitter. And the fact that he can do that, he can already he already shows pretty good gap power that I think is gonna lead to uh, more over the fence power as he fills out. And then at least for now, he can play in the middle of the outfield. He may end up in a corner over time. We'll see how his body changes as he continues to get older. Right now, he's a center fielder. And I think if he does have to move to right field, he'll be very, very good over there. So I see a guy who could potentially hit two in the order with high on-base percentages and pretty good power who either is going to be a center fielder or a real defensive asset in right field. That's a pretty good, well-rounded skill set. It's going to help the club out help the club on both sides of the ball and potentially depending on how much power comes be somebody who is the best position player on the team maybe make some mvp ballots i'm curious keith what what adjustments did you see the second time through with with dylan carlson that that helped him that second time through and and maybe makes him a potential rookie of the year here in 2021 i don't want to overread into small samples here but it did seem like he was making better choices, especially uh, earlier in the count, not being too passive, because this is always a, a balance that hitters who are really disciplined, prospects who are really disciplined, have to make. In the minors, often those choices, you know, swing or not swing, is this a ball, is this a strike, those choices are pretty easy, right? You don't see a lot of pitchers with really good command. Then you get to the major leagues, you see a lot of pitchers who can really hit their spots and pitch to the edges of the strike zone. And I thought, again, reading off of a pretty small sample here, but that Dylan was maybe a little too passive the first time around, falling behind in the count. And then just in situations where it was hard for him to work his way out of it, and often often those ended up in strikeouts. It seemed like after, after he came back at the very end of the season that he was making better decisions and that he was looking earlier in counts for pitches that he could could drive or at least do something with so that he wouldn't end up behind in the count, and then we we get away from him trying to dig his way out of an 0-2 or a 1-2 hole. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I thought he was way too passive early in counts. Do you, do you see that 
um, with younger guys because in the minor leagues they can get away with that, and it just in the major leagues, you know, you're you're just going to see more pitches you know, around the corners. Guys just have better command. Yes, with hitters of a with position player prospects of a certain type, right? The Dylan Carlson is is pretty exceptional. You don't see a lot of prospects who have his kind of plate discipline at his age. A lot of prospects, as sure. they come up through the minors, they can get away with not being very disciplined because the difference between a ball and a strike in high A is usually pretty obvious because right. they can miss right. by a lot. You know, Dylan, I, first time I ever saw him live was actually in a major league spring training game against, um, against Atlanta. I don't remember who the pitcher was, but it was a major league pitcher too. And he was taking pitches that were fairly close, but not strikes. And I thought, well, this kid's 19. 19 year olds don't do that. Not against major league caliber pitchers. And that I think is pretty indicative. Having talked to lots of scouts, who have seen him over the last couple of years. That's indicative of the hitter that he is. And I think now that he's got a hundred or so plate appearances in the major leagues and has already shown us he can make that adjustment. I think he'll be far better off for it in the long run. Even though this, this first season wasn't as productive as maybe the Cardinals would have liked, he will be a better hitter for it in the long run. He may be a better hitter for it just in 2021, for having that experience, going through a cycle of that, pitchers adjust to him, he adjusts right back. Adjusts right back. We're talking to Keith Law of The Athletic here on 101 ESPN. Keith, the guy that a lot of Cardinals fans, I think, have some anxiety about seeing here pretty soon is Matthew Libertor after what they saw from Randy Rosarena in the postseason last year. Obviously, right now, it looks like the Cardinals are the loser of that trade, but we know how these things work, that that trade is not decided, at least not yet. What do what did the Cardinals get in Matthew Libertor? How good of a left-handed pitching prospect is this kid, in your opinion? Yeah, I don't want to say anyone won or lost that trade. Certainly not yet, because Rosarena, who is also on my list, uh, a couple of spots ahead of Libertor, it's two months. We saw two months of Randy Rosarena, where obviously where he was Babe Ruth. Um, I think he's going to be really good going forward. I don't think he's going to be Babe Ruth going forward. Liberatories, really interesting. I really like what I've seen from him so far. I see the potential for uh, a good four-pitch mix. I think his curveball is going to end up a real out-pitch for him. I think the changeup is really developing very nicely. He's a great athlete. He repeats his delivery well. I think he's going to end up a real strike thrower going forward. The one thing that I highlighted on him and that I've heard from scouts who've seen him is there's some concern that hitters see him see the ball out of his hand a little too easily, especially the fastball because his fastball does not have great secondary characteristics. It's not a high spin pitch. does not have a ton of movement. Hitters may be on his fastball a little bit too much. And that's something that he's going to, going to have to work on. Maybe that means he just pitches away from the fastball and uses his secondary stuff more. Maybe it means that he works with the Cardinals and they try to alter the grip on the fastball or change other things about how he you know, maybe switches to a two seamer instead of a four seamer so that hitters don't have such an opportunity to square up that pitch. And I think that adjustment is the difference between him becoming maybe a number two starter or being more of a number four, number five starter. Nolan Gorman, you have him at number 57 and Gorman had the chance to work with Jose Okendo, um, specifically just individual instruction at the satellite camp. So that's a good thing. And he's facing some of the top lefties in the Cardinals system last year, whether it be Thompson or the aforementioned Libertor. 
Um, can some of these guys, like a Gorman or a Libertor or a Thompson, some of the others, but really a Gorman, make a jump to Major League Baseball? It's a, it's an incredible jump, Keith, to do this. But do you think they can make that jump at some point this year? My guess is probably not. Probably not for Gorman, not for Libertor. A little too young, too inexperienced. And in Gorman's case especially, I think if he tried to make that jump or if the Cardinals asked him to make that jump, the result would be just way too many strikeouts. Gorman's approach, and he's making progress for sure, but Gorman, there's a lot of swing and miss there right now. He's a bit of a, uh, I've compared him a little bit to Joey Gallo, and he's not quite Gallo. Gallo's got otherworldly power. Gorman does have exceptional power. Both guys, I saw both guys in high school, and both guys were kind of the same. They, They knew how much power they had, and they could really, uh, try to their whole approach was basically geared toward hitting the ball as hard and as far as possible. And in the high school, facing high school pitching, they could do that. They could get plenty of pitches that they could crush. And you get into pro ball, and you realize that pitchers will realize very quickly what you're trying to do, and they will pitch to that weakness. And I think we see Nolan start to make some of those adjustments, but he's got more more to do. And I would say if we have a regular minor league season this year, I'm still holding out some hope for that. He'd probably spend most of it in Double A and be working on making those adjustments towards keeping his contact rate high enough so that the power ultimately can play. And as you mentioned, he's working with Jose Okendo on his defense last year, and the Cardinals are very happy with his progress there. I'd like to see some of that, because if he can stay at third base, and he's certainly athletic enough to do it, that just makes him a much more valuable player going forward. Keith, the last guy that I wanted to ask you about is the last Cardinal that you had in your top 100, and that's Yvonne Herrera. We heard so much about in recent years, Andrew Kisner and whether or not he could be the heir apparent before that it was Carson Kelly to Yadier Molina. Now we're talking about Yvonne Herrera as being that next guy. How far away is Yvonne Herrera from being in the big leagues? Do you think he could be somebody that if this is it for Yadi in 2021, could Herrera take over for him potentially in 2022? Yes, I think so. I think you'd probably it would probably look a lot like young Gaudi or Molina in the sense that Herrera could come up in 2022 and do the job, but he wouldn't be a star yet. And he'd still be, it would kind of be a, a continuing his development at that point where he'll come up and he'll be good. He'll be good enough. Um, and I think especially because he puts the ball in play at such an exceptionally high rate, that will allow him to kind of hold his own in the majors as he's continuing to work on other things. Notably, just for him, it's the finer aspects of catching, the game calling, some of the framing. He's pretty good at blocking and receiving. He can really throw. It's the kinds of things that will probably only improve when he's in the majors, working with the major league coaching staff, and especially catching major league pitchers, catching that quality of stuff and working with them on game calling, game planning, things that are just harder for a catcher to learn in the minors where obviously the stakes are different. You're working with guys who don't throw it hard and don't have the same caliber of stuff. I would love for Herrera to get a chance to maybe finish in the big leagues this year if Yachty is there and they can kind of work together if if Yachty is willing to come back and just be a backup in 2022 as Herrera the majority of of the duties, but that Molina is there to continue to mentor him. Because I think that that you couldn't find a better pairing, right? You could not ask for a better guy than Molina to continue, who's worked with most of these pitchers on the staff to sort of serve as the bridge to Herrera, who I do think is really the heir apparent now. You mentioned Carson Kelly. I think one of the reasons they were willing to trade Kelly 
was they saw Herrera coming and they said, no, this is the guy. This is going to be the one who takes over for Molina and is our catcher for at least the next six years. Keith, as a guy that, that really studies the minor leagues and with a lost minor league season, um, what do you think the, the the progress is going to be like for some of these kids? You know, is stunted growth, do you, or do you think that some of these guys it'll be okay? How, how do you think they respond going ahead in, in 2021? And God willing, we do have a minor league season. Yeah, it's it's a great question, and it's one I've I've grappled with a lot. It's one I've discussed with a lot of player development people too. And I, I think the most honest answer I can give you is every player is going to be affected differently. On total, in total, this is this is worse. It's worse to not have a season. I think position players will be hurt more than pitchers. There will be pitchers who are, are actually better off from having a year of rest. Most pitchers will tell you there's always something a little wrong, something a little bit, something bothers them a little bit. And there's probably guys who had a little bit of soreness or even a little damage in the shoulder and the elbow that taking a year off gives them a chance to heal. And we may see a lot of guys come back uh, throwing a little harder or more durable than before, but it's tough to know who those guys are until we get back out and we're playing again. Um, there's also, there, there was a real sort of haves and have nots split between players who got to go to the alternate sites, uh, which was limited to you know 60 players total between your major league roster and your alternate site. Um, with some players getting to go to instructional league, but not every team held instructional league. And, and not every team invited the same number of players to instructional league. So a lot of, there were some players, some prospects who got to you know, throw 50 innings between alternate sites and instructs and some, some prospects who didn't get to do anything last year. So there's going to be, I think some, some pretty big differences. And we may see, especially at the start of the next minor league season, we may see guys in the low minors who didn't play anywhere last year, just look really rusty or really behind um, where we would have expected them to be if they'd gotten to play anywhere at all in 2020. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, especially on the position player side. And my final question would be about the pitcher side, and you, you touched upon this a little bit. Do you anticipate that a lot of of these organizations then will go back, if they haven't done it already, to a piggyback-type system in the minor leagues? Do you think that'll happen? Yes. Or we may see more seven-inning games at the yes. minor league. Yeah, I was wondering that level. too. And yep. Yeah, I, th- I think you have to because it's just not realistic to ask most of these most of these minor league pitchers to go out and throw. You know what's maximum now lately for minor league starting pitchers? It's usually about 130, 140 innings. We're not going to see a lot of guys do that. Teams aren't going to want to do that, even if the guys think they can do that. A lot of teams are going to say, "No, we're not taking that chance because you didn't pitch that much last year. We don't want you to go from 40 innings to 140 innings." And and I'm usually not as conservative as these teams. I think in some a lot of cases we don't really let guys pitch enough but in this case i would completely understand the caution and whether that means expanding rosters shortening games piggyback systems teams are going to have to get pretty creative to watch those innings limits keith last thing that i've got for you your colleague ken rosenthal last night reported that the cardinals and the rockies are in discussions on a nolan arenado trade I don't know how much, if anything, you have on that type of a deal or what it would potentially cost for Nolan Arnato. But as you look at the Cardinals roster today, what would acquiring a guy like Arenado do for this team to hopefully bridge that gap between them and some of the elites in the National League that have, I mean, the Padres, Dodgers, Mets, Braves, they've all even taken another step this offseason. It's interesting. The, they don't need to do this. Right? The 
the Cardinals, so right now they look like they're the only team in the NL Central that is in a win-now mode. And it's not that they're ditching development, but they're, they're actively trying to win this year. And the other teams all seem to be running in the other direction. I mean, certainly the Cubs and the Pirates especially have moved away from that. And the, the Brewers and the Reds are, are at least you know, trying not to spend any more money right now. So the Cardinals are in a pretty great situation. They don't have to go get Arenado. Of course, they're a better team if they do. Of course, they're better in the postseason if they do. And it sets them up pretty nicely, I think, for the next couple of years. But they really don't have to. And if I were in their shoes trying to negotiate this with with Colorado, I'd, I'd say I'm going to pay a fair price for Arenado, but I would probably hold firm on not giving up not giving up elite prospects in this. I'm not trading Herrera. I say, no, he's off limits. That's our catcher of the future. We're not doing that. Because those extra wins that you're getting from Arenado in the regular season probably, can't say for sure, but probably don't matter in terms of winning the division. I think the Cardinals are the favorites to win the division. I, I really like their chances to do so, and it would just be more about are we a better team for the playoffs? And I'm not giving up three or four pretty good prospects to try to improve my odds in the playoffs when we all know the playoffs have enough randomness involved that it's nice to have Arenado, but he's not likely to be the difference between advancing you know, to the World Series or, or cashing out in the division series. Hey, Keith, appreciate your time, appreciate your work, and everybody can read you at The Athletic. Thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Okay, that's Keith Law of The Athletic. I'm not so sure that you would have to give up top prospects to do this, especially if you look at what you Darvish went for, what Lindor went for, because more and more it's about money in this. And if the Cardinals would be willing to give up, let's say, you know, some lower end prospects to do this uh, and they have a plethora of pitching and maybe it's about pitching and taking on the salary, then that deal gets done. Yeah, I think it's a sliding scale, right? We see this all, all over the place. If you're going to take on that entire contract of Nolan Arenado, well, that severely limits the amount of talent that the Rockies would get in return. If, however, just as an example, the Cardinals said, you know what, to be able to help us out in terms of our salary, our payroll this year, would you be willing to take on Rockies either – Matt Carpenter Fowler. or Dexter yep. Fowler to be, again, help us out with the money here. And if they decided to do that in Colorado, okay, now you're going to get a better prospect haul because the money is a little bit different going into this year. Or if it's not a player going back, but the Rockies say, you know what? We'll pay down $5 million of Arenado's salary every year over the life of the contract. So it's basically $30 million that the Cardinals would be getting in the deal. Well, that would also help the Cardinals in Correct. terms of the, the, the pros or hurt them in terms of the prospect hall. It's all a sliding scale here, and it depends on what the Rockies are really looking for. If they want just a true salary dump, well, then, yeah, the Cardinals aren't going to have to give up a ton. And I think you would agree more than ever. It's about salary, maybe more so now than ever because of what's happened with the pandemic. Absolutely. And, and that's what it comes down to. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Would love to get some questions from you guys. I know it's been a busy day for the Cardinals. If you missed it earlier, Adam Wainwright has officially signed. The Cardinals have now announced that deal, so it is officially official. Did you see how he did it, too? Yeah, I'm back. I'm back. It's like a Jordan, uh, you know, I'm back. 
It's back. amazing. Yeah, I like it. Uh, I, I'm, I'm happy with that. One-year deal, $5 million guaranteed in salary, $3 million in incentive, so the max that he can make next season is $8 million. There have also been reports overnight that the Cardinals and the Rockies are reigniting on some talks about Nolan Arnato. Nothing imminent there, but... At least we now know that those talks are taking place. Let's get to some of these questions, Dan, from the 618. Guys, Scott Rowland is my favorite baseball player of all time. How does Nolan Arenado stack up against Rowland? I think he's like Scott. I've said this before. I think he's like Scott Rowland 2.0. Defensively, he is Scott Rowland-esque. I've always said this, Scott Rowland. Now, I watched him play in the prime of his career, Scott Rowland, uh, just about every day. So I didn't watch and haven't seen... Nolan play every day. I've only seen him a handful of times, and he's Roland-esque. He's like Roland-esque 2.0. So Scott Roland would be my best, but after that, in terms of defensive players, Nolan is right there with him, and if I probably saw him every day, I'd say that's why I like watching Scott Roland. He's so that good. OPS Plus is a metric that is out there that adjusts everything based on ballpark factors and all of that. It's on a scale of 100, where 100 is league average. Anything above that is that percentage above league average. Nolan Arenado, in his career since taking over as an everyday player, is a 127 OPS plus. Scott Rowland, in his time in St. Louis, was a 133 OPS plus. There you go. Very comparable players in terms of what they bring as a hitter. The other thing, Dan, that I've always heard from you, I heard it the other day. Um, I don't remember who we were talking to. They said, when you watch Scott Rowland every day, you have an even greater appreciation yeah. of what he brings to the table. From what I understand, it's the same is true of Nolan Arenado because of what, what he does defensively. Watching him every inning of every game in the hot corner, that is what makes him such a special player. Is it's every day he's that guy. I'd be intrigued on what this would do to your lineup. You know, how, how would you situate your lineup? I'll, I'll put Tommy Edmond right now at the top. I would really look at Dylan Carlson batting second because I want some protection around a young kid. I want him to see more of those fastballs early in counts, and I want him to be aggressive. I'd put Goldschmidt third. I'd probably look at Arenado at maybe fourth. or I'd be curious which one of those goes three, four. I think you can go either way with those guys. And I maybe DeYoung is four, you know, five. But you know, I want three, more four, at five. for those two. Yeah, but yeah. again, and then and then at that point, see how it, the, the chips fall with that, you know. And, and That's a really good one through five. At least it has the potential to yes. be a really good one through five. Now, all of a sudden, I've changed how I feel. I'm not so reliant on putting pressure on the outfielders to produce. If they don't produce, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with Bader hitting eighth or ninth if a DH is in play. Bader's going to give me really good defense. And, and if he hits 220, lefties, I'm okay. Yeah. It just changes the complexion of your team. This it totally is, changes it. This is what the Blues did, Dan, with a guy like Jordan Cairo. It wasn't necessary for them to have a huge season out of Cairo. Now, if he did, great, awesome. That just adds to the scoring depth, right? But when they went out and signed Mike Hoffman, it took a little bit of the pressure off of him to where if he doesn't perform, well, we've got this guy here. It's fine. Take your time, right? Take the time to develop. Same thing is happening right now with Robert Thomas. You're not forced into a top six role. We've got Shin. We've got O'Reilly. Take your time to develop. That's what a guy like Arenado does and Goldschmidt in the middle of your order. Now, instead of DeYoung being forced into being a cleanup hitter, well, maybe you're an overqualified five or six hole hitter. Yachty drops down in your lineup. That's another thing to consider. You know, if you're forced with currently constructed to have Yachty batting fifth or sixth, that's not what you want. You want thump in the middle of your lineup. Yachty's not that guy. Not anymore. 
he's probably a seven or an eight type hitter with a very good lineup. That's just what he is. And he's a great defensive player. So it's a, it just makes your lineup get extended. You get length. Um, it's fun to talk about. Hasn't happened yet, but man, is it fun to talk about. And John Mosaloc is talking to Assembled Media right now on a Zoom call. We'll have some cuts from that for you throughout the day here on 101 ESPN. He did just kind of semi-address the Arenado rumors. He said, not a whole lot that I can add to those rumors. Clearly, clearly they are out there. Still time to improve the club. Still time to look at things. We're going to remain open-minded and see what we can do. So certainly not dismissive. Again, yes, period. You remember when I said that when a press conference, you got to read between the lines? That's about as good as I can say that you're reading between the lines. Maybe there's something there. There's a little smoke there. When Mo knows there is something out there that is not taking place, he has a way of dismissing it. That was not a dismissal. No. The fact that so many reporters out there have something on this saying basically yeah this has been happening over the last couple of weeks and now it's starting to heat up it tells me and especially when ken rosenthal is the one that's writing it there's something to this will it happen i don't know who could say it there's snags that can come up and talks like this all the time but there's clearly something here so if you would have said at the beginning of an off season that you were going to have to wait but the cardinals in february because it could it happened over the weekend and going into next week, but they were going to re-sign Wayno. They were going to let go of Wong, but you were going to get uh, Molina back and they were going to add Nolan Arenado. Would you have been happy with that? That is the best case scenario for the offseason. <laughs> yeah. like you- he said, be patient. Well, you had to be patient. <laughs> that may happen. Who knows? Dan, this is, this is why... We've what did been I talking. say? I'd be patient. You, you, and you would have been right. Um, I'm frustrated, too. I want to see him go out and do stuff. I love talking about this stuff. It, and it's... And the, I get it. The thing that it, you said earlier, maybe the Cardinals are changing their ways, right? Maybe this is them kind of becoming more open-minded about things that, you know, look, you, you got to spend a little bit more on individual players than you're probably comfortable with. This is the classic puke point, right? Where, whew, $200 million is a lot of money yep. to be guaranteed because the moment that you trade for him, you are guaranteeing that he's going to see that money from you. Could you imagine, though, saying uh, four or five years ago, Yadier Molina, Paul Goldschmidt, and Nolan Arenado are Ooh. part of your team? Defensively, just trying to wow. imagine what that could look like is pretty incredible. And let's not slight Paul DeYoung, who is a really good defensive yes, shortstop as well. I would I would push back a little on what you said with them changing their philosophy. I think they're reverting back to what their philosophy was. I think this is more the way that they operated in the early 2000s. That's a good point. Yeah. And reverting back to those times. Sure. sure. Um, because Arnado yeah, does make point. more. That's a great point. Yep. But they had guys like Roland making a lot of money early in the 2000s. You got to translate it for what it is today in today's money. Same thing with McGuire. They paid him a decent amount of money. They weren't paying nothing for Larry Walker back in the day. Albert made some decent money here. Over 100 they, million. They had guys that were paid handsomely in their time here in St. Louis. So I think it's actually reverting back to where they were and going a little bit away from what it was in the mid 2000s. Yeah. And you're giving up some prospects. I think maybe the difference with this is that the, the time back then was those guys were considered and we'll see what they have to give up in this trade if they make it. And it's an if at this point, because I'm looking at you, Darvish, I'm looking at Lindor and those weren't top 10 guys look at what san diego still has their top 10 guys and all these deals that they've made and they didn't have to give up a number one or number two or number three or number four number five 
I'm assuming that this is more of a money thing that the, the Rockies want to get out from under that deal. And the Cardinals are saying, we'll, we'll take the bulk of that deal and it's going to become a money deal. I really do. And if you're a Cardinals fan, you have to be thrilled by this. You have to be thrilled by it. And this is why the calls for people that said Bill DeWitt Jr. is cheap or any of that stuff, that's been nonsense all along. The Cardinals spin to the top 12 in all of baseball and payroll almost every single year over the last 20 years, basically since they took over as the new ownership group. They've spent my frustration in recent years, at least, has been that they haven't spent the way that I think you should as a team. They are so good, Dan, so good at developing pitchers. Probably the best team in baseball at developing pitchers. Clearly, lately, players, position players, too. And they went and they spent on Andrew Miller. They spent on Brett Cecil. What they're basically doing is reallocating that money here. They're saying, hey, instead of spending on those relievers, we've got all those guys. They're coming through our system every year. We've got somebody new that's throwing 95 that surprises us. Let's go ahead and just lean on those guys. And now instead of spending $10, $12 million on the relief market, we'll put that into our position players. And I think that's what's, what we're seeing here. I think uh, it's a good move. I would imagine you and Alex are going to continue the conversation here and probably hear some of the cuts that uh, are happening right now with John Mosellock. You better believe it. And Dan, one thing that I love about this, and I'd actually be curious your thoughts on this before we get out of here. I love that there is still some sentimentality in baseball. Adam Wainwright coming back is good for the game. It's good for St. Louis fans. Him spending his entire career here in St. Louis is a really good thing, and it is far too rare in sports to see a guy like this spend his entire career in one market with one fan base. And I'm so happy. Fingers crossed we can get full fans in the stands by the end of the year, but even if we can't, I'm thrilled that there will be fans that have the opportunity to give him the proper send-off going into next year. Okay, sentimentality. I actually, the night that Yachty got hit number 2,000, as excited uh, as I was to see him get to that milestone, which I thought was the final check mark for him to go to the Hall of Fame, I actually was kind of sad that there was no fans in the stands. So to have him have the recognition, hopefully, and Wayno with fans in the stands if next year's the final year or the year after, if they come back, to your point, sentimentality, that should happen. And that's a good thing. And it's a bad thing that Lindor doesn't finish in Cleveland. And that's something that's not good for baseball. I would agree with that. And I'm thrilled to hear that they're going to be able to get this done. And hopefully the same is true for Adam Wainwright. And if they could have this send-off, Dan, with Nolan Arenado being in the lineup as well, they could win. They're not just coming back. They're coming back to win with this team. That'd be awesome. Should be fun. All right, looking forward to your show. Tanner, have a great weekend, guys. Looking forward to your show. Can't wait. Talk to you Monday. Hey, this is a great first week, BK. This has been tremendous, Dan. I've loved it. Looking forward to uh, many, many weeks to come. So we'll talk to you uh, Monday at 10 on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to The Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. On November 13th, it's the dawning of a new era. When the NFL debuts in Germany, live on NFL Network. Brady and the Bucks. Touchdown, Tampa Bay! DK and the Seahawks. Puts the ball up, making a catch! Wake up and watch with the world. It's Sunday morning football. Live from Munich. Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern, only on NFL Network. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. 
At Granger, we're here for you 24-7 with supplies and solutions for every industry and access to product specialists ready to help. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.